Hello, I'm Ilya, and I'm a marijuana addict. Coming off of the biggest holiday season of the year this week, which happened to include my 57th birthday. Uh, this is the most difficult period of the time for year, but in sobriety, uh, I can manage my feelings in such a way that I can still do the things I need to do. Um, I was still able to do some cooking for the week. I was still able to, um, you know, make my bed and, and all that kind of stuff. So I have 8,273 days, thanks to Marijuana Anonymous. So in addition to being a cannabis addict, I'm an alcoholic, uh, Al-Anon at an early age, an ACA, a transgender woman, and was just recently diagnosed with bipolar one. Uh, I mention it because I didn't discover any of these things, uh, you know, when the problem started to first emerge. And uh, my history isn't going to, I'm going to tell my history uh, with some of these factors, even though I didn't know that any of this was, you know, going on. It's been a real journey to figure out just what the problems were in my life. Um, and I'd say that the major issue, the major emotional issue that uh, caused me to turn to uh, many things, especially marijuana, is that uh, these things all conspired uh, to kind of cripple my connected nature that I had as a small child. Um, I used to be able to, you know, be very comfortable with people and, and uh, make friends and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and it left me with feelings that I wasn't good enough. You know, the world wasn't good enough. Um, everyone could see that I'm not good enough and nobody will help me. And those are kind of the underlying feelings that uh, has really uh, created a lot of problems. And for a long time, marijuana was the solution. Now, um, recovery did not come easily for me. I went to my first MA meeting in the summer of 1996. Contrary to suggestion, I wasn't willing to connect with any members individually. Uh, let alone get a sponsor. Uh, I was still too, I still too wanted to get you know, recovery like all by myself. I had this fantasy of being, basically being able to go into my room and draw the blinds and transform, you know, and then to be able to walk out into the world uh, uh, just, you know, functioning exactly like I would like to and you know, as if uh, n none of it ever happened. That was the fantasy. I didn't want anybody to see my suffering. I didn't want anyone to see my struggle. Um, I wanted to, um, I wanted to do it alone. And uh, of course, that didn't work. So uh, I went to meetings for six months, and just this past. Uh, 2023 convention, I ran into a member uh, who was at those meetings in 1996, and he was trying to get sober too. And, and he said, oh, yeah, you were the guy who relapsed every week. And 
I finally managed to get 30 days at the end of that stretch. And then I went out for five years. I always mention this in my shares because what happened is I got so used to coming back. You know, I got this idea, well, oh, I can always go back. So I can relapse as much as I want and, and just come back, you know, and, you know, maybe at some point uh, quitting will be comfortable and I'll stay, but meanwhile I can just uh, keep, keep doing it. And what I, uh, I thought, so I always thought that I would continue to, to have the choice to come back um, until that time, uh, you know, at the, after the end of that 30 days, I, I just didn't go back. It was very strange. It's as if going to the MA meetings never happened. And uh, yeah, it still blows my mind because uh, I didn't go back. And it's like I totally forgot about the meetings. I forgot about MA. I forgot that marijuana was a problem in my life. And then I just went on. And I went on my merry way for five years of finding an even worse bottom than the one that got me to MA in the first place. So, you know, I always mention this because it's a cautionary tale. You can't depend, you know, since I couldn't depend on that awareness sticking with me, you know, or depend on that choice to go back being, uh, being available to me. Because somehow it wasn't. Somehow I just totally forgot. And it's because I used so, um, so um, as had been my motto, you know, all through my using, uh, when everything else fails, ask for help. So I came back to uh, MA meetings in 2001, and I did take my su some suggestions from others. Um, uh, that motto, in a way, did work, but in the most painful possible way. And I finally got clean and sober for good on May 6, 2001. And I know that I was the kind of pothead that can obfuscate with complexity. So I was very fortunate I had this, this sponsor that insisted on keeping everything simple. Um, so we were going through the, he said, okay, we're going to do the first three steps right now. You know, do you have a, do you have a problem? Um, you know, is your life unmanageable? You know, tell me how it's unmanageable. Uh, you know, do you have hope that some higher power can help you? I said, okay. So they said, get down your hands and knees, you know, third step. And, uh, yeah, cause I want to get, I want to get all intellectual about it and, um, and so abstract about it. So, you know, I get to the point where I'm not, uh, I don't have to really feel what's, what's going on or not going on with uh, this kind of step work. So um, he taught me that uh, I really need to, you know, sweep away uh, my, my intellect and, you know, my ego in, in doing this work. Um, <clears throat> Like a year and a half later, about May 5th, 2002, I kicked off my male to female gender reassignment. And that was one of the issues that uh, my using masked. You know, it was, just, it was just too scary. And, you know, if I was stoned all the time, I didn't have to deal with it. And uh, 
really the only reason I bring this up is uh, is uh, something I think is relevant to recovery is um, how terrified I was to walk out the door after I visibly started. And it wasn't unjustified. It was threatened, had stuff thrown at me, chased down the street. Um, but here's the thing. I knew I could never give into the fear of going out because it, it would only get harder and harder to leave. And this went on for six weeks, you know, which felt like such a long time that I was used to the, getting used to the idea that this is just how life was going to be. Um, but one day the fear was gone. And, you know, for me, this was a really powerful lesson in how we can outlast discomfort. And, um, you know, it's actually a lot like getting clean when we outlast the discomfort of not using. Um, but this drove, drove it home to me in a way that getting uh, more than getting clean did because when I was getting clean, there was so much else going on, you know, like being social on a level much higher than I was used to, uh, engaging with a sponsor, working the steps, making friends with other individuals, facing so much wreckage in my life that I had kind of been able to uh, be oblivious to. You know, there's just so much going on that that um, that it wasn't so obvious to me that uh, that there was this kind of outlasting process. But this this really drove it home and. Certainly for myself, it proved to me like, wow, you know, I can outlast discomfort for a pretty long time, you know, and that, that's about how long it took before I wasn't feeling desperate to, to use marijuana. Um, even the 30 days, I was still feeling a desperation, but, you know, six weeks, uh, I, I felt like I turned the corner. So maybe that's where my threshold is and maybe that was uh, um, I don't know. That's how long I had to go through uh, physical, you know, social, mental, spiritual detox for marijuana. It's it's a very it's a very difficult thing. Um, so those are some things I, I really wanted to get into. Uh, in this share. So now that I've said those things, um, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my earlier history. Um, was growing up in Northwestern Ohio, uh, pretty mid middle class lifestyle, but uh, we probably could have had a higher standard of living, but my dad was really, you know, saving the money he was making and investing it and uh, has come out very well uh, for that and <clears throat> except for some early medical trauma um, I was premature and then I was in and out of the hospital until I was five years old and um, you know had had to have my my mother leave and um, being in stuff like oxygen tents you know um, but except for that but I remember you know my childhood up to the age of 10 was was a uh, mostly happy. Um, one thing, though, was my dad wouldn't play with me because he, you know, like, quote, couldn't do make-believe. And I was all about make-believe, sometimes too much. So um, 
you know, and that's that's one piece that makes it uh, uh, makes it clear in retrospect why uh, marijuana was such a good choice for me, um, at least at the time. Um, my problem started around 10 years old. Uh, my parents divorced, and my mom uprooted me and my brother from Northwestern Ohio to Florida. So not only did I lose my father, I lost my home, I lost my uh, uh, school, I lost my friends at school, I, you know, I lost every, the community that I lived in and um, kids in the neighborhood. Like it was just, uh, it was just all gone. And uh, I got, uh, my brother got therapy because he acted out. He was very visible in his pain. Um, but I was very internal. I turned it all inward. So I didn't have these signs. And as often happens in this situation, um, uh, my mom leaned on me. You know, I was just 10. And I was taking care of her emotionally. So there wasn't anybody taking care of me emotionally. So she remarried to someone who was very abusive especially to me. Um, I pretty much hung in there, you know, because of my mother and brother, instead of trying to get myself moved to my dad, which wouldn't have been a picnic anyway. He was an alcoholic. And <clears throat> but anyhow, there was so much pressure on me between, you know, 10 and 18 when I was able to leave home that, you know, I didn't develop socially at all. And it wasn't until the very last year I got invited to a party by some of my peers and uh, I discovered marijuana. And that was just uh, the most fantastic answer uh, I could have imagined. It's like suddenly, suddenly, I, suddenly I could feel good. And suddenly I wasn't plagued with self-doubt or this not feeling good enough. I mean, because uh, it pulled me into my head. And in my own head, like, everything's just great. Um, you know, I was internal anyway. Um, you know, I was able to fantasize about uh, all these things. It kind of put all of that on steroids. Uh, it just, you know, it just seemed great. Um, I also know that it, it's uh, now that it uh, um, was self-medication for a mood disorder, um, but, yeah, and I went on for 17 years. So for 17 years, I was using pot and went to college, uh, spent, you know, seven years in a five-year program, and so grateful that I graduated. Um, one of the things I got interested in was uh, musicianship. My, my family was, uh, was a musical family, but I hadn't really done anything about it. I wanted to be a singer. I started taking voice lessons. Um, but then as things changed in my life, I just, I just kind of dropped it. Um, I would still fantasize about it. Uh, but, and the thing about pot for me is, um, when I'm loaded, thinking about doing something is almost as satisfying as doing it. And so um, I got a lot of, 
you know, satisfaction out of, you know, imagining me pro, uh, progressing with this. Uh, you know, and, and that was true of a lot of things. Um, at this point of my life, um, as I said, I'm 57. I'm broke. Uh, I don't have a whole lot. But when I got into recovery, um, I've spent the last 16 years um, busting my ass with uh, formal study of voice. You know, ac- you know, actually, I was actually able to do it. I was actually ha- able to have the discipline to do it and to be able to be present with it while I was doing it. And uh, it's, it's just all the world of difference because it is like one thing that I do have now is I have this skill and uh, it's, it's definitely thanks to MA because otherwise I'd still be just uh, sitting around hitting the bong or, you know, many other options we have in California now, uh, you know, and, you know, imagine myself doing it. I'd probably be do, still be doing that. And uh, I have a relationship now that's a really functional, uh, a really functional adult relationship uh, for the past 15 years. Uh, and and I'm, I'm doing service. And one of the things I've found in service is uh, they're really the winners of the winners. And I don't mean to imply one bit that, that uh, like, the winners of the winners are, you know, like, actually better. I mean, we all are just addicts, you know, which means anyone can, can uh, do service. Um, and I do a lot of world service. And... Uh, yeah, and what I mean by winners of the winners is like it just basically people who have progressed in their recovery enough uh, that they have something left over to give. Because at the beginning, we have to put all our efforts into our own recovery and fix all the things that we neglected over our time of using and uh, kind of retrain ourselves to be uh, – functionally social and, you know, functionally economically, you know, there's, there's usually so much work to do uh, at the beginning, but you get to a point where there's, uh, there's not, it just becomes the maintenance work. And then you've got something left over and you can, you can give back. So, um, and, you know, when, when that happens varies from addict to addict. But uh, you meet a lot of people who are really uh, committed to the program and uh, have generally good recovery and um, are doing things, you know, just having role models that are, that are taking action to do things uh, is, is really wonderful. It encourages me to do stuff. And, I mean, doing is the one thing that was missing in all those years I was using is I just, uh, I just didn't feel the need. I was oblivious to all the calls to action in my life and uh, oblivious to the others in my life. So 
Excuse me. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much what I have to say tonight, and uh, I hope it was uh, um, I hope it was useful to some people. Thank you. <laughs>